Las Vegas, Tony Romo, and the Final Four. That's next on The Cam Rogers Show. It's The Cam Rogers Show with Cam Rogers. I know more than you. Every Saturday evening on ESPN New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. I am the greatest. And welcome into the Cam Rogers Show here on ESPN New Hampshire and ESPNNH.com, as well as the ESPNNH SoundCloud account. I am Cam Rogers. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day to tune in to this jam-packed program. You can follow me on Twitter at MrRogers99. Spat off about any of the topics on the show today. And there's a lot to get to in the NFL. Owners' meetings are going as we speak. Some storylines to digest in the show today. The Tony Romo saga. Will that continue into training camp and perhaps longer? Ian Rappaport, NFL Insider, chimed in on that. We'll dissect the storylines surrounding Mr. Romo. And later in the show... A little Final Four preview, SB Nation basketball analyst Matt Allen Tuck joined me, and we will play that interview for you on the show, and we'll talk some PGA Tour. DJ Dustin Johnson, boy does he look good for the Masters Tournament next week. A full Masters breakdown will commence next week on the Cam Rogers Show. I'll give you my expert predictions for fantasy and who will take home that coveted green jacket. So let's start things off with the owners' meetings here. The Oakland Raiders will soon be the Las Vegas Raiders, folks. They are going to Sin City in a couple of years' time. They will remain in the Bay Area for now. But yesterday there was a vote 31-1 to in favor of the Raiders going to Las Vegas in what seems to be their first season in 2020, perhaps 2019, but the stadium will not be ready by then. Roger Goodell, of course, commissioner, looking at the possibilities of what Oakland can do in 2019, whether they stay in the Bay Area or perhaps have a temporary stay somewhere in the Nevada area. We'll see. But one thing we do know, the stadium will be ready in 2020 in Las Vegas. The Raiders will be the Oakland Raiders in 2017 and 2018, and it's kind of a crapshoot for 2019. We'll see how things play out. Now, that one owner who did not vote in favor of the Raiders going to Las Vegas, Stephen Ross of the Miami Dolphins, saying that it just isn't fair to leave behind such a devoted fan base. And folks... Think about the history with the Oakland Raiders. The Black Hole, Al Davis, just win, baby. They've been there and done that in terms of being in the biggest games across the National Football League's history. All of that will be put into a little book and tossed away into the archives because they're going to Vegas. They're going to Sin City. And this is an interesting development. Now, there is $750 million worth of funding for this Vegas stadium that I mentioned will not be ready until 2020. And it's interesting to go along with this Stephen Ross dissent, if you will, Oakland officials, the mayor, they made a last ditch effort to keep the Raiders in Oakland for the long term. And Roger Goodell essentially bounced back with a letter saying that they're just, they're not enough details here for me to 
keep the Raiders in Oakland or stop pursuing this Las Vegas destination. So that's the big headline coming out of the owners' meeting so far, the Oakland Raiders going to Las Vegas. And, of course, everybody and anybody weighed in on Twitter. Marquette King, well, he didn't even say any words. He just threw up one of those emojis, the one where the guy has his hand on his chin and he's thinking. Derek Carr, well, he went with the taking a screenshot of the Notes app on his iPhone route, put it up on Twitter. I'll read a little excerpt for you here. Uh, quote, as I sit here and see a vote that takes the Raiders to Las Vegas, I am overwhelmed with emotion. I don't know how we should feel. I feel the pain of our fans in Oakland. As players, we will show up and give everything we have. We will compete and we will do our best to bring a championship to the entire Raider Nation. He goes on to uh, discuss unity and sticking together uh, throughout this interesting process. And Khalil Mack, star defender for the Raiders, saying, couldn't have said it better, so I'll quote tweet it. So we quoted Derek Carr's tweet uh, from yesterday afternoon. So that's the situation with the Oakland Raiders. And folks, to all my Raiders fans, here is a little taste of the NFL operating as a business. At the end of the day, the National Football League wants to turn a profit in the best possible way. And it was interesting in the 2016-2017 season, we're hearing storylines about viewership going down and protesting and all these off-the-field headlines that we aren't used to really seeing. We are used to this shield that the NFL has, the robustness of the league in terms of people tuning in to these games no matter what the situation is, no matter what the headlines are off the field. Now, for an example, you have the Adrian Peterson and the Ray Rice domestic violence situations back a couple of years ago had no effect, really, on viewership of the NFL. And all of a sudden, it has dipped. And I feel like Roger Goodell had a fire under his butt, if you will, to do something, perhaps with the Oakland Raiders, and to move them to a more profitable area. Well, Las Vegas, of course, <laughs> there's a whole lot of money to be had there and to be gained. And so I think that's uh, the mentality that Roger Goodell had in terms of pursuing this opportunity. It seems like Oakland could not get the proper funding, I guess, at least until the last second. Um, you have the Oakland Coliseum. It is one of the worst stadiums when you juxtapose it to the other stadiums, basically in all the four major sports. And so it was time for a change, I guess, in the eyes of many of the owners. In fact, in the eyes of all but one owner in the National Football League. So the Raiders, folks, enjoy it while it lasts. Enjoy the Bay Area style of Raiders for the next couple of years. I think this is an interesting move. Again, it's a reflection of how the NFL is a business and how it needs to turn a profit to the highest extent. And Stephen A. Smith had an interesting point yesterday, basically saying that this fits well with the Al Davis just win mentality. And you kind of have that blend there with the risk-taking kind of aroma of Las Vegas, 
right? You have the gambling. You have the chances that you can take when you go to Las Vegas. You can walk out of there with a gajillion dollars, uh, walking in with just a few. And that's what Al Davis kind of had in his mind in terms of risk-taking. When you look at the players that the Raiders have drafted over the last couple of decades, big playmakers, speed on the outside, and fast defensive linemen getting after the quarterback and wreaking havoc. So in a way, I guess those mentalities can kind of mesh, kind of mold together once the Raiders go to Las Vegas in 2020, presumably. So I guess, in a sense, it does fit. Will this be the start of a trend? Perhaps. Could we see more teams moving to more profitable areas? The Los Angeles Rams now. We'll see how that pans out. You know, Being in L.A. myself a couple of times, there's not a lot of excitement surrounding this team right now. Rightfully so. Not the most talented NFL team at this juncture. But could see more of that down the road. So there you have it. Big storyline coming out of the owners' meetings right now. A couple of other nuggets to look at here. Uh, Mr. Robert Kraft, owner of the New England Patriots, saying that Brady told him he wants to play six to seven more years. That would make Brady 45 or 46 when he retires, folks. But here's the thing. I believe him. When you really look at the level of play that Tom Brady is on and not showing any signs that he is slowing down. He played 12 games last year because of the suspension. I'm just talking regular season here. Brady threw for... 3,500 yards, basically, 28 touchdowns, and just two picks. And one of them was kind of fluky. So Tom Brady had an MVP type of season, and if he played 16 games, he probably would have won the MVP. Like I said, uh, I don't see any signs of this guy slowing down, and I am a guy who usually looks at regression to the mean. As a big player in the sporting world, especially in fantasy, when you see one crazy good season, it essentially means that he's going to step back that next season. I'm not so sure Tom Brady is part of the regression to the mean phenomenon. I mean, I think he's an exception to the rule. And look, I could see Brady playing into his mid-40s. I could see Bill Belichick coaching into his 80s. These guys are just simply an anomaly to complacency. So many people in the NFL fall victim to complacency, especially after winning a Super Bowl. But that hunger is still there with Tom Brady. It's still there with Bill Belichick. And that trickles down to other officials in the New England Patriots organization and to other players among this team. So I think power to you, Tom Brady. We'll see if you can keep it up. I absolutely think he can, and this pains me to say as a Baltimore Ravens fan. And you know what? I really hope Joe Flacco, Tom Brady have many more duels in the regular season, many more showdowns in the playoffs, and perhaps a couple of AFC Championship duels. Because I think uh, the Ravens are on the rise as well with the additions that they've made so far in the offseason. I think... The Steelers are bound to take a step back. It could be New England, could be Baltimore 1-2. and two. 
going forward for the next few years. Joe Flacco, a proven Super Bowl quarterback. Tom Brady, of course, perhaps the best to have ever stepped on this earth. So for the Patriots to say, or for Tom Brady to say more specifically, I'm going to be around for another half a decade, that strikes fear into the Dolphins, the Bills, and the Jets, and perhaps the rest of the AFC, even the NFL, unless your name is Eli Manning. So that's going to be uh, an interesting story to watch. Tom Brady going to be around for quite some time if we take his word for it. Now, some news came out this morning, some breaking news, about what the owners are expected to vote on today and pass. They are expected to pass a rule on banning leaping over the center on field goal attempts. The logic being it's too dangerous where uh, a player could perhaps get flipped over in the act of doing this jump. And this is interesting because you remember the New England Patriots made this happen on Monday Night Football against my Baltimore Ravens when Justin Tucker, our kicker, was perfect on the season and was no longer perfect when the New England Patriots uh, leaped over and essentially blocked the field goal. So it was perfect timing and nobody was hurt on the play. Perhaps this is a move to protect the kicker a little bit as well, but I guess that takes away a little excitement. Now, I have no news in terms of the owners officially passing this rule on field goal kicks, but Adam Schefter, ESPN, NFL Insider, saying that this is going down, it's going to happen. We'll see what the official vote really has in terms of this rule, but there you go. Field goal kicks could get a whole lot less interesting, so we'll see. How about Tony Romo, folks? Tony Romo. And there are reports right now that say that it's either retirement or the Houston Texans for this guy. And perhaps a little story here to further support that. John Elway, general manager for the Denver Broncos, saying he's going to stay the course. That's a quote there with his young quarterbacks, Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch. So what that tells me is the Denver Broncos they're not looking at Tony Romo at this juncture. Perhaps the price is too high right now. And maybe Tony Romo um, has, has a better fit with the, the Houston Texans. And maybe the Texans have a better package deal that they are offering the Dallas Cowboys. And so the Denver Broncos right now, they're going to go off and do their own thing with Simeon and Paxton Lynch and see if a starter can emerge from those two players. Now, Tony Romo is essentially separating himself from the rest of Cowboys management as well as the players. That's the report right now. I mean, Tony Romo essentially feels alienated from the rest of the team because he's technically a Cowboy, but really not. I mean, it's inevitable that he's going to be released or traded. So he's in this NFL purgatory where he doesn't really know when or where he's going to be. Again, could be with the Houston Texans, could be retiring and signing a TV deal with CBS Sports or Fox Sports. Those are the reports coming out a couple of days ago where Tony Romo could be an analyst, in-game analyst, studio analyst, whatever. Could be an A-Rod type of situation, A-Rod signing a deal with Fox Sports to... Being an MLB analyst? Could that be a route for Tony Romo? I really hope not. I mean, perhaps when he 
Foley is good to go. He is done. He's ready to move on. But not now. I mean, the guy can still play at a very high level. He can turn a team that is basically a fringe contender into a Super Bowl contender, i.e. the Houston Texans. So he should stay the course, to use John Elway's words, and wait for the Cowboys to make their move. Wait for Jerry Jones to do his thing, either releasing Tony Romo or trading him. Now, Ian Rappaport, as I mentioned at the open of the show, with an interesting tweet saying, Yesterday, March 27th, this hashtag cowboy situation with Tony Romo isn't ending anytime soon. It could continue not only up to the draft, but past the draft. Buckle up. End quote. Oh boy. Wow. So we could be in training camp. It could be July. And we are still playing the Tony Romo waiting game where perhaps he may not be on a team. He may not retire. Yikes. And you know what? You know who is actually really angry about this tweet, this report? The Houston Texans. They don't want to go into training camp. They don't want to go into the draft. They don't want to go into OTAs thinking that Tom Savage is going to be their guy, but perhaps at the end of the day, Tony Romo could be, and there's this thought in their mind that, okay, we're going forward with Tom Savage, but perhaps Tony Romo will be the starter, but we have to plan for Tom Savage to be the starter. Do you see how confusing this is and perhaps frustrating for management and Mr. Bill O'Brien at the Houston Texans? I would be pretty angry because you have to make a plan for your off-season programs and OTAs and all these things, workouts, in terms of who is going to be the quarterback. It's so much more beneficial to have your starter set well before these workouts. And it looks like that's not going to be the case for the Houston Texans unless, I guess, the Texans just give out this monster deal to Jerry Jones and Cowboys management saying, look, we have this package for you. Take it or leave it. And um, if you don't want it, then we're not going to pursue Tony Romo anymore. That's when the Cowboys will be left with releasing the guy, and then it's an all-out waiver war for Tony Romo to be the quarterback for whatever team it is. So just like Deflate Gate seemed to never end, Tony Romo Gate may not end for some time, folks. So I got to ask, what is Jerry Jones waiting for? Why? Why drag this out into some reality TV episode where people are wondering where Tony Romo is going to go? Jerry, are you waiting for this amazing blockbuster deal from the Houston Texans? Maybe the Denver Broncos? Are you just playing out the string for some ratings? I mean, you would be a genius by doing that because people are tuning in. We're all wondering. I'm here talking about it on ESPN New Hampshire. And uh, perhaps that is Jerry Jones is thinking, one of those two routes. Or, and I guess this would contradict the reports, management is talking to Tony Romo in terms of what they want to do together. What is the future together? They still have maybe an open dialogue in terms of what they want to do. But again, that would contradict the report that Tony Romo 
is essentially separated from the rest of the team in the office as well as in the locker room. So the saga continues, folks. We will, of course, keep you updated on what is happening with Tony Romo. But if I had to put my money on what the end would be, I would say Tony Romo is going to go to the Houston Texans immediately make the Houston Texans a Super Bowl contender because I said a few times last year, and I'm swallowing my pride a little bit right now, that the Houston Texans were a complete team, perhaps the most complete team in the NFL, and that was with Brock Osweiler at quarterback, and that was before Brock Osweiler was stinking up the joint. I thought maybe he had the potential, the size, the arm to make it happen with the Texans. Obviously, that did not pan out. That's why he's with the Cleveland Browns right now, and perhaps the Browns don't even want the guy. At least, that's what it seems by the statements that Hugh Jackson made recently, saying that uh, (laughs) we will uh, evaluate Brock for now. The for now is very peculiar. So, those are the storylines coming out of the NFL. I want to switch gears now to the Final Four. Coming down this Saturday... The Gamecocks of USC battling the Bulldogs of Gonzaga. Gonzaga, the number one seed. My pick to win the national championship game versus the seven seed USC. This game at 6.09 p.m. on CBS. And then following that game, presumably, officially, at 8.49 p.m. on CBS, Oregon versus UNC. UNC, the one seed. The Ducks, the number three seed. And a couple of firsts for a couple of teams. USC's first Final Four appearance ever. Gonzaga's first Final Four appearance ever. And of course, we all know that narrative with the Bulldogs not making it deep after such great regular season performances. Well, this is the chance for the Bulldogs to finally shut down that narrative. Oregon's first appearance in the final four since world war ii was going on 1939 so essentially for many people's lifetimes the first appearance for oregon and then you have unc the stalwart among these four as just a team that has been there so many times a storied organization a storied school and coming off a brutal national championship loss to villanova last year so they want some vengeance They're still hungry. They want that national championship. And we will find out uh, after this weekend and after next Monday where the national championship uh, will be contested in Arizona. So with that, let's get to my interview with Matt Allen Tuck of SB Nation. Uh, He's a guy who is really good at what he does and his basketball analysis and also does a little uh, WNBA, women's college basketball, some NFL, all all that stuff for SB Nation. So let's get to that interview right now. Joining me on the Cam Rogers Show is basketball analyst for SB Nation, Matt Ellen Tuck. Folks, he's got the memes and the hot takes. Matt, appreciate the time, sir. Uh, Thanks for having me, man. All right, what a March Madness it has been. The Final Four is set, Matt. We have USC, we have Gonzaga, UNC, and Oregon. Just give me your initial reactions on these final teams. What a weird tournament, right? Unbelievable. My whole thing, right, is we've talked the entire year about all the amazing freshmen and how, you know, these are NBA franchise players 
franchise-changing guys, and none of them were left in the Final Four, which is very weird. Uh, but yeah, we got three newcomers, right? Oregon, Gonzaga, South Carolina. Well, Oregon was there 70 years ago, so new to us. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a weird one, definitely. I don't think anyone could have predicted this four at all. Yeah, you talk about parody. I mean, it seems to be the theme uh, the entire college basketball season. I want to bring attention to the listeners on a post you made recently on SB Nation about an apparent missed travel call by USC's Dwayne Notice in the Gamecocks Elite Eight matchup versus Florida. You know all about this. Now, Matt, it seems to me that this has been a March Madness filled with inexplicable officiating, and I feel like we're hearing about the folks in the black and white more than ever before. Am I wrong in this perception here? Oh, man. Like, we need some robot refs. I think we've established that for quite some time now, right? Like, these dudes just can't seem to get it right. Uh, but, yeah, it has seemed to be, you know, it's a mix of of definitely some, some poor officiating down the stretch. And, uh, honestly, you could put a lot of blame on, on teams themselves for some terrible last-second shots. I think we've seen a number of those, too. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll see what happens in the Final Four. Hopefully the refs don't become the story. Let's talk matchups here. You have USC and Gonzaga on one end, UNC versus Oregon on the other side. What are the key headlines that you are staring at here for both these games? Uh, I mean, South Carolina, where the hell did South Carolina come from? Right. Uh, I guess we, we all totally overlooked one of the best defenses in the country for the entire year, and Instead, we paid attention to UCLA and one of the best offenses, and as you can see, uh, one panned out better than the other. Uh, but, it, I mean, Gonzaga and, and South Carolina have the potential to be like just an extremely low-scoring game with, again, I mean, Ken Pop ranks them as both of them as the top uh, two defenses in the league. Um, it's going to be a matter of how well South Carolina is able to contain Gonzaga's offense, which is obviously leagues above its own. Uh, we saw Gonzaga kind of fight through West Virginia's incredible trap defense and, and all the pressure there, and, and they survived because, again, terrible last-second shot. But, uh, if, you know, Gonzaga's been battle-tested through that. I think we can finally stop talking about them being a mid-major who isn't going to make it far every year. I think they've proven themselves, uh, besides a good regular season, they've, they've been through a couple of, you know, good teams on their way here. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a matter of uh, if South Carolina's defense can contain another elite offense, which is, you know, it's a tall task, especially for a really huge team like Gonzaga is. And you look at UNC, Matt, so good on the glass, especially on the offensive side, and Oregon, a team that really likes to spread the ball around. What are you staring at in that game? Yeah, Oregon's a team that I guess has forgotten that one of its best players is hurt, um, but they've been phenomenal. I mean, Jordan Bell stepped up out of nowhere with eight blocks the last game, so he's going to be a huge factor on the inside again. Um but yeah, I mean, it's going to be the Justin Jackson story, right? I guess he's the last true, like, big name that everyone's talking about who could go in the lottery that uh, is going to, is going to play, and it's going to be a matter of containing him, which is a pretty tough task to do, and he's been phenomenal for most of the tournament. Um, but also, the big storyline is going to be if Joel Berry is healthy. I mean, UNC pretty much needs him to to be successful, and he has a second ankle injury in the tournament, and we're still not sure how much play time or if he'll even get to play. Uh, you look at the national championship, Matt, uh, so many potential big storylines. You have a Carolina Civil War, if you will, UNC-USC, maybe an All-West <laughs> final. In North Carolina, too. That'd be fun. <laughs> Let me ask you, what matchup are you hoping for in the finals? Ooh. Well, 
Uh, I'm not sure, I guess, because I'm sure the, uh, the NCAA is hoping that North Carolina makes the finals for money purposes, but uh, obviously this would be a really weird final if anyone except UNC is there, just because, I mean, no one had any of these teams going this far, and I think that would make for a memorable, you know, tournament tournament finish. Obviously, South Carolina winning it all would be extremely fun, but I think what I really want to see is probably Gonzaga-UNC and, and Gonzaga winning it all so we can finally, you know, put to, put to rest all the terrible slander about a team that's been pretty damn good for a decade. Yeah, absolutely. We can certainly shut the door on that. Talking with uh, basketball analyst Matt Allentuck of SB Nation here. Matt, I want to switch gears to our Maryland Terps. Now, from reading your tweets and your public comments on the Terps, it seems to me that you're basically saying that these Terps overachieved and we should all be satisfied with the outcome of this season. Is that safe to assume that's your thinking on this Maryland 2016-2017 campaign? You know, it's such a weird, it was a weird season, right? He started the season 20-2 and two and everyone was jumping for joy and then, you know, a collapse at the end of the season and everyone has it down. I mean, if you look at, at the body of work that Maryland put out this year and let's say you just rearranged that a little bit so that it wasn't such a hot streak and then a cold streak and they were just medium good throughout the entire year, people will probably have a different image. But because they ended the season so poorly, that's, you know, the taste everyone had after the season ended. But yeah, I mean, this is a team that we didn't even think was, you know, a shoe-in to make the tournament, and they wound up a sixth seed somehow, and yeah, I mean, they, they were they were a pretty complete team until the injury, right? I mean, the front court depth was always a problem, and then, um, you know, Tchaikovsky seemed to be a real fill-in, he looked like he was, you know, a real player this year, and then he got hurt too, so, you know, that hurt them down the stretch, but I mean, Maryland's returning most of their really good players, you know, Mel Tremble will have to wait on, but... Kevin Herter can play, Justin Jackson can play, Anthony Cowan can play. I mean, they have a really good young core that they're going to be able to build on. And, you know, if Maryland can establish itself as one of these type, one of these UNC-type teams where they can develop talent for three or four years or however long they stay with the program, I mean, if, if Herter can turn this program into one of those, they're going to be pretty good. Yeah, if you really want to cherry-pick some of the highlights this year, seeing Justin Jackson, Kevin Herter, and the shots that they made, uh, certainly... Yeah bring some confidence to me and fellow Terps fans. I want to talk about Mello Trimble. Of course, a whole lot of speculation in terms of what he's going to do. You know, he has no reason to stay in my eyes, Matt, but do you see him having maybe one more collegiate season in him? Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been debating this a lot, too. Uh, there's a lot of reason for him to leave. Uh, I can't really think of many reasons why he would stay. I mean, I can't speak for him, but obviously if he wants to make money, I, I don't think waiting another year is going to help him. Uh, a lot of his, you know, a lot of the knots that scouts have on him are things he can't really change. He doesn't have the long wingspan. He's not incredibly quick. Uh, I'm not sure how much he can improve or how much he can show in another year that'll help the stock. He's probably a player that's bound for Europe. Maybe he makes an NBA run at some point, but you know, in terms of making money, that seems to make sense. And, you know, Maryland doesn't seem like a real championship contender for next year, you know, not in the same way that they were a year ago. So, um, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Mello Trimble to come back, but who knows? I mean, if he, if he values a degree and, and that's the, the route he wants to choose, another year, you know, wouldn't hurt. All right, Matt Allen Tuck of SB Nation here on the Cam Rogers Show. Folks, check him out on Twitter, at M. Allen Tuck. Matt, appreciate it. Hopefully we'll talk again soon. Absolutely, Cam. Thanks for having me.
All right, and thank you very much again to Matt Allen Tuck for coming on the program. Hopefully, we'll have him back on the Cameron Rogers show very soon. And as our final segment here, talking PGA Tour, more specifically, Dustin Johnson. The guy is red hot, folks. Coming off a victory at the WGC Dell Technologies match play. He was slated to play in this week's Shell Houston Open. That's not going to happen. He's going to rest and get ready for the Masters Tournament next week. As I mentioned, a full preview on the Cam Rogers Show coming up next week. But Dustin Johnson, just firing on all cylinders. Short game, driving, approach to the green. There is a reason why he is the number one player in the world. Winner of back-to-back-to-back tournaments. Two of those tournaments, WGC events. What does that mean? That means the purse is higher. means you get more FedEx Cup points. But most importantly, you're playing against the best in the world. So we're looking at Dustin Johnson's last four tournaments. Third place finish at the Pebble Beach event. Uh, The Genesis Open win WGC Mexico Championship, win WGC Match Play, win. And he's going to look to make it four in a row at the Masters at Augusta next week. And Dustin Johnson being the first person to win back-to-back-to-back tournaments since Rory McIlroy did it back in 2014. So it's been some time since we've seen this, this type of consistency. And you want to look back all the way to December, Dustin Johnson has been in the top 10 every time he has played except once at the Farmers Insurance Open. So Dustin Johnson, absolutely killing it right now. And you know who's happy about this? Jordan Spieth and Roy McIlroy. Because they're not going to get the attention that they normally would going into a major championship Dustin Johnson's going to get all of the storylines, all of the headlines, all of the interviews and the attention uh, to make it four in a row and get Dustin Johnson halfway to the career Grand Slam in major championship uh, tournaments. So there you go. Dustin Johnson, the odds-on favorite to win the Masters and... We will see what happens. He does not have a glorious record uh, at this tournament. He has plenty of experience at it. Augusta National, it's more about shot shaping than per se overpowering the golf course. It's less about your approach game and more about your putting. The undulations on these greens are absolutely crazy. So this is a very interesting test for Dustin Johnson. This isn't a course where you can just grip it and rip it. Uh, there's some holes where you can do that, especially on the par fives, but there's so many dog legs and, um, he has the course history though. You know, he has that going for him. He, he knows how to play this course. So we'll see if that plays into his success at the Masters next week, as well as making the decision to not play the Shell Houston Open in Texas this week, uh, Perhaps a good move by Dustin Johnson. You want to stay hot, of course, but you want to be well-rested for an event that is mentally taxing. And it's going to be very fatiguing for him, especially uh, because of you know the accolades that he has right now and the pedigree and being world number one 
at this juncture. Finally, I want to wrap with Jason Day. I want to send my uh, my thoughts and prayers to this guy uh, going in front of the world in an impromptu press conference last week during the WGC match play event. Jason Day revealing that his mom has cancer going through treatment right now and uh, he withdrew from the event last week to basically be there for his family and his mom. So uh, just all my thoughts and prayers go out to Jason Day as he goes through this really tough situation. As much of a mental game as golf is, um, you know, just the mentality and the piling on of this off-the-course issue really um, adds on to the difficulty that is to play the game of golf. So, um, no reason for Jason Day to play any tournament anytime soon. But we will hear by Friday whether or not Jason Day will play in the Masters next week. But if he doesn't play, uh, that would not be surprising, nor um, should it be you know, expected in terms of him playing next week uh, because of the situation. So uh, Jason Day, great player, great guy. And really nice of him to actually create a impromptu press conference to make this happen, to tell everybody to not make the medium wonder exactly what is going on. All right, so that'll do it for this edition of the Cam Rogers Show. We will see you next week on the program. Again, follow me on Twitter at MrRogers99, and I will see you in a week. Take care, everybody. <laughs>